So as we come to chapter 22, we're going to see the word then, like then this happened, then that happened. It's going to pop up a lot because this chapter is a narrative of events moving and in order, and we see things, and we'll break it down in the sequence of as we see things. So verse 1 of chapter 22. Then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zephor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. So Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this company will look up everything around us as an ox looks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. We'll stop there. Again, east side of the Jordan River, Moab a little bit to the south, Midian to the north. Midian, of course, would be perpetual enemies of Israel, the Midianites. That's who Gideon was hiding from when he was threshing the wheat. Those were Midianites that came against them. So we see the Midianites attacking Israel in the book of Judges. Something interesting, though, when you look at Moab, Moab, the Moabites are descendants of Lot. Now, of course, remember Abraham and Lot. Lot was his nephew. He came to the promised land, and Lot was blessed. Of course, he lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham rescued him when the kings of Chedorlaomer and their coalition conquered the Sodom and Gomorrah kings and took the captives. But Abraham rescued him, brought him back. We were actually told that Lot was righteous. But then we know that Lot had a sexual relation with his daughters and had descendants, two sons from that. And the Moabites are descendants of one of those sons. And it's interesting how blessings carry over because in spite of all of Lot's shortcomings, God had a plan for Moab that included the descendants of Lot to avoid conflict and trouble with Israel. There was a plan for them. In Deuteronomy, we'll see, where they're reviewing God's faithfulness to them in the wilderness wandering, and Moses is recounting that to the people. And he says, and remember the Lord told me, don't engage Moab, don't pick a fight with Moab, because they're the descendants of Lot. So when we come to this story, we get additional insight from the Holy Spirit to understand the background to it. From Moses' perspective, they're just camped on the east side. They, they, they didn't want trouble with Sihon and Og either. And they wanted to pass through Edom, which were the descendants of Esau, the half, you know, of course, the, the brother of Jacob, the half of the twins, and they wouldn't let him pass. So they, they just let that one go, and then they had these conflicts, and now Moab is unsettled by them being there. But we do know that God said he would cause people to tremble at their coming. And if you understand how kingdoms are in, in ancient times and really even in modern times, is when you feel threatened, you feel threatened, and the Moabites felt threatened. But it's noteworthy that God was speaking to Moses about not engaging Moab and not, not even going there. Just, hey, keep your head down, hands on the plow, let Moab alone. So God honored Moab. He told Moses to honor Moab, but Moab didn't honor God. This is the foundation of our story. Because as we read through the next couple of chapters, well, just one tonight, but three next week probably, it, what we see is that all this conflict, all this heartache, all these challenges, all this striving and scheming, even in tonight's text, it actually could have been avoided if Balak just recognized, like, hey, we're descendants of Lot. Israel's our brother. We don't want any trouble. Everything's good. And if they even just sent ambassadors to go talk to Moses, like, hey, we kind of noticed you're in our yard, and um, we're wondering what your intentions are. 
Our intentions are good. We mean you know evil. That's where that, God's promised us that land over there. That's where we're going. Like it could have happened. But Balak presumed the worst. Balak, of course, was an unbeliever, but he was a descendant of a righteous man, Lot. And yet he had no bearings on that whatsoever. In fact, he worshiped Baal. So we, we see that in the story as we go forward. But I just pointed out because it seems to me the very beginning of the story is important to understand that in a basic application, that if you just trust the Lord, you can avoid a lot of problems. If you just ask them what their intentions are, you can avoid a lot of problems. Instead of presuming the worst and taking action based upon presumption of the worst, maybe just catch your breath, give people the benefit of the doubt, maybe seek the Lord on your own behalf, and at least go talk to someone before you start calling and hiring people to curse them when, in fact, they have no beef against you. It's an interesting foundation to the story that's worth noting. In other words, sometimes it's good to get more information before we presume the worst in a situation. It may not nearly be as bad as we think it is, and we might avoid four chapters of unpleasantry in the Bible if we just take four verses and think it through, seek the Lord, and ask someone, what's your intention? That's the first thing that really stands out to me in this text. Because Balak thinks the worst-case scenario when, in fact, that wasn't the heart of God toward them as its descendants of Lot. It was not the plan at all. And if he'd sought the Lord, even sought Moses, he might have found out for himself that God had a blessing for them instead of taking actions against God and against his people. Verse 5. So Balak thinks the worst, and it says then he sent then. Okay, so he has the worst case scenario in his mind. He has all this fear. He's making the coalition with the Midianites. And then, and then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor at Pethor, which is near the Euphrates River in the land of the sons of his people, to call him saying, look, a people has come up from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth, and they're settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once. Curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in their hand, and they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? So Balaam says to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Look, a people has come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the prince, princes of Balak, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. This is the beginning of the story. Round one, if you will, how it all begins. Balaam is a very interesting guy. He's in the New Testament as a bad guy. And he's in the bad, the bad book, the bad chapter. If Jude, Jude's just one chapter, but it's basically a warning against false prophets and people that misrepresent the Lord, he makes that list. Second Peter, chapter two, it's all about false prophets bad people with religious power, religious representation, stuff like that. He makes that list too. In fact, we're told that his, Second Peter tells us that his were the wages of unrighteousness. 
So he's associated with income, wages, for unrighteousness. And then in Jude's account, he went greedily for profit in falsehood. So the New Testament interprets for us all we need to know about Balaam in his heart, because God reveals his heart to us from the New Testament, looking back now, that he was about the money. I mean, he was show me the money guy. He wanted the money. He, it's interesting what tempts different people. There's, there, you know, we all have things with our fleshly, prideful nature that can tempt us. And it's interesting how like some things will tempt you that don't tempt other people. And some things will tempt me that maybe don't tempt you. But we need to understand as fallen descendants of Adam and Eve, we are prone towards sin. Even with a new nature, we, we are to pray to be delivered from temptation and God will provide the way of escape. So no temptation has overtaken us, but such is common to man. But God who is faithful will allow the way of escape through the temptation. That's what Paul the Apostle with the Holy Spirit says to Corinthians. But then in the book of James, we're told to resist the devil and he will flee. That looks really good on paper, but we all know in our personal lives, that's not always that easy. The deeper you go in a bad direction, the farther down the road you get in the wrong decision, the harder it is to change course. And that's really the lesson that we're going to see as we look at Balaam. But right here, he's a mystery man. He's not an Israelite, yet he's a prophet of God. He knows God. Like these guys come to his house based upon his reputation for speaking authority supernaturally. I mean, the guy's reputation has traveled hundreds of miles, and Balak says, hey, I can hire Balaam because everybody knows. I mean, uh, he's like Miles Finch, you know, like whatever. You follow me? Like, I can hire him, and he'll do what needs to be done. Everyone knows that if Balaam curses you, you're cursed. And if Balaam blesses you, you're blessed. Everybody knows that. So, hey, let's take up a fund. These are two greedy guys, and they're a match made in earth for sure. Not all greedy men work well together. Sometimes they destroy each other, right? But sometimes they build a coalition and they both destroy together, but they're actually working together as they're destroyed. That's who these guys are. They're actually a, a coalition of greed. Balaam had a knowledge of God, certainly, that we don't fully know. Job knows all about the Lord and he was an Israelite and he's the same time as Abraham. Melchizedek, whether it's the, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament or a type of Christ in the Old Testament, he's not Israelite, and he's a mystery to us, and he's like the prince of you know, peace and prince of Salem, and Abraham pays tithes to him. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, knew about the Lord, gave good counsel that Moses heeded, and had a relationship with the Lord. So there are people from their timeline under this covenant, the Abrahamic to... to Mosaic Covenant that God was working through in different ways that don't quite fit the mold of the straight line from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Israel. And this is one of those guys. He's a very interesting person to us. Very unique. Very unusual, unique person in the Bible, in the Old Testament. And again, the New Testament sheds light to us for what his real downfall was. But the Lord came to him. It says in verse 9, then God came to him. So these guys then, these guys move with fear. They're bringing money. And then God came to him and says, who are they? And Balaam's like talking to God like, hey, it's no big deal. Yeah, it's these guys. They've come and they want me to do this and that. It's like the relationship of understanding divine vision and prophetic words and insight. It's already there. In other words, he's not falling on his face like, oh, who is it? You know, he's like, yes, yeah, these guys, man. They showed up. They got money for him. If I 
go do this and curse these people. And the Lord's like, well, you're not going to do that. Don't go with them. Don't curse them because I've blessed them. These are three simple things that God said in the initial conversation that, again, are a plumb line or a reference point. Because when you come to what you don't understand, and there's a lot in this chapter I don't, like talking donkeys, but when you come to what you don't understand, you fall back on what you do understand, right? So we understand this. God says, don't go with them. Thou shall not lie. Thou shall not steal. It's a don't go with them. Don't run on the freeway. Don't swim where there's sharks. Don't play outside with a metal rod during a thunderstorm. Like, there's some good don'ts in the world. Right? When you're growing up, your parents gave you lots of don't drink the poison underneath the sink. Like, there's... Don't put your... Don't put the screwdriver in the electric socket. Now the sockets are different, right? We're so smart in 2020. They're not the same thing. Like when our kids were kids, they could really, you know, they could do that. But now they have these new sockets where it doesn't happen like that anymore. Great for 2020 and the millennials and their kids. Good for them. But that was a don't. There's things you don't do because they're just not smart things to do. But there's things you don't do because they're wrong morally. And there's things you don't do because it's against God's character and his covenants. So not just wrong morally, like, like this is as wrong as you can get. You can't curse what God blesses. God promised that he would bless through Abraham and his descendants. In fact, one would be able to give a very strong position in a court of law that the reason the United States has been so blessed is historically we bless Jews and Israel. Certainly the last four years has been amazing where we have supported what we've said we do for 20 years, but President Trump had the guts to do it, is move the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, their historical capital, which is their capital. But those are things that God blesses and honors. We know through faith and believe in the Bible that those who bless you, I will bless, and those who curse you, I will curse. This is what God said of Abraham and his descendants, Israel, the Jews. There's a lot of mysteries to the Jews, but again, it's really easy to understand, hey, he's blessed them, don't curse them. And of all the things that you can do that's not good, don't develop an anti-Semitic spirit or attack the Jewish people. It didn't work out for Russia too well under the Tsar and the communist, because they're a heavy persecutor of the Jews. It certainly didn't work out for Germany too well. I mean, Germany kind of could have ruled the world. We could be speaking German right now if they just consolidated their gains about 1941 before they went after Russia and all the Jews. You go after the Jews in Israel, you're just going, you're going against, you're not just fighting God's word, you're fighting God's covenants at the highest level. So with that understanding, again, God's like, hey, don't go with them, don't curse them because I've blessed them. I mean, how much clearer can it be from the Lord that He's never going to bless this endeavor. Fighting God. And when you really, it's this. That's, that's, you can't win that fight. You're never going to win that fight. So for the rest of this chapter and the rest of the study of his life, we got to realize this is the foundation of it all. Don't go. I won't, don't curse them because I've blessed them. And that's never going to change. 
So where we think we might have ambiguity or uncertainty about like going to this college or that college or dating this person or marrying that person, whatever, you can overthink stuff. In the end, you know, like, oh, which shoes do I wear today? Oh, I don't know. What is the will of the Lord? I, you know, I tell my kids, the higher the stakes, the more important it is to seek the mind of the Lord. And when it's really clear, it's really clear. God is never going to bless Balaam's efforts. And he's never going to bless our efforts when we're resisting his will, his word, and his covenants. And that's exactly what he's doing here. It's a warning to us that there are no's that are always going to be no with the Lord. And no matter how many optics and prisms and visions you get to look at it from any different direction, it'll always be no, 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 no. Because God is light and has no darkness at all. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the government might say no in 1990, but yes in 2010. Well, that's human government. God doesn't do that. There's no shadow of turnings with the Father of light. That's what this reminds us of right here. Everything Balaam needed to know to live his life successfully from this day on is right there in front of him. No, no, yes. Don't go, don't curse, and I've blessed them. So figure out why I'm blessing them and maybe get under the blessings. Or as Pastor Chuck used to say, get under the spout where the glory comes out. Because that's where we want to be. We want to be at the blessings. Now we read on. Verse 15, here's another then. Well, then, then Balak again sent princes more numerous and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak the son of Zephor, Please let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will certainly honor you greatly. I will do whatever you say to, say to me. Therefore, please come curse this people for me. Then Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold. I wonder what Balaam's thinking of right now. Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord, my God, to do less or more. Now, therefore, please you also stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men come to call you, rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you that you shall do. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. This is where the story really picks up steam and gets going. There's some head scratchers here. And by the way, if we, want, we should just call Terry Man an answer, right? The, right? Because like, this, this is one of those chapters where you go like, now, now hang on here. Didn't God just say, don't go, and now saying he could go? Well, on this one, there's, well, there's only a couple of possibilities. But remember, in the text you read before this, I didn't draw attention to it, but I will now. Balaam goes, you know, I, I, he's implying he would go, but, you know, the Lord says I, I can't go. Like, guys, I know it's going to be a great party, but mom and dad said I can't go. Now, if someone said that, you'd say, no, they really want to go, but mom and dad are restraining them. But instead of saying, like, so he might say, you know what? It's just not, it's not God's will. It's not the right thing to do. I, I don't want to go. Don't come back. It's over. Well, you know, the Lord says I can't go. Like, that's like, the Lord says I can't go. <laughs> though, though he gave me all of his gold and silver, I couldn't go. Right? Stay here, spend the night, and let me see what more the Lord will say to you. And you know, it's always dangerous when you got to hear more from the Lord when it's really obvious what he spoke to you. 
if you've been in ministry a long time or walking with the Lord a long time, you realize that, you know, we, we can play that song and dance too. We're all capable of that. Like, well, I know the Lord said no last month, but maybe he'll say yes this month. And we can get like that. So I think there is a bit of a humor that we can see in this in our own lives, how we can be. If we really want something, the Lord's like, no, no, no. It's like, well, I know he said no this time, but hey, maybe now. Maybe now. We've all seen people striving. We use the term striving like, man, they're just striving. Like striving over this. Just striving, striving. And I'm capable of striving. You're capable of striving. And in this case, he's striving. Maybe we've seen people where we... Everyone in the room knows the Lord's closed the door on that person with what their dream is or what it is they want to do. But they're just, no, it says delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you what desires of your heart. And they kind of underscore delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you desires of your heart. But it's really like delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37, 4 is a tricky verse. If you underscore the beginning of it, you'll really emphasize the back part of that verse but if you emphasize the first part of the verse then it's like an, it's no big deal we're going to truly delight ourselves in the lord and he'll give us you know our heart's desire because our heart will be aligned with him but if we like we're going to delight ourselves in the lord like you know a religious thing and then i'm going to give my heart's desire i claim it in jesus name right people do that don't do that get the first part right this is what happens when God says no and we don't accept it. We start looking for yes in four-leaf clovers and rabbit's feet. We start looking for yes in some sort of sign that might reveal that God has actually changed his opinion about this situation. He's changed his perspective on it, and we're looking for a yes when he's already given us an emphatic no. Paul said he prayed three times to be healed from his thorn in the flesh. After that, he gave it to the Lord. Jesus prayed three times in the Garden of Gethsemane, let this cup pass from me, and after that, we don't see it again. That's a pretty good principle when you're trying to really discern the Lord on something, and as they say in baseball, three strikes, you're out. And I'm not like theology on that, but as a general principle, if you're praying and that door closes and you're praying and that door closes and you're praying that door closes, it's probably closed because God's no is much louder than his yes. His no is much louder than his yes. So no, no, no. When we still want to hear Yes, 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 like a relenting child, like a, excuse me, like a relentless child. You know, the, it's like the widow with the judge. I, oh, I'm just going to give her what she wants because she's driving me nuts. And we all know our children can be like that. We know it can be like that. Don't be like that with the Lord. He's not going to change in his character. He's not going to change in his covenant. And as long as Balaam is on the side of receiving what God said the first time and using that as his plumb line, he's in a good way. But the moment he crosses that, he's going into dangerous territory. He's going into very murky waters and a, a place of great uncertainty. So the two possibilities are, one, God is testing him and giving him a chance to say, actually, you know what, mom and dad, I know I can go to the party. Thanks. But you know, I've decided it's, it's not what you want me to do. And I, I love you so much and I respect you so much. I don't really want to go to that party. 
I, I want to honor you guys, and I know something bad's probably going to happen at that party. What good could happen at that party? And I know you told me no, and now you're saying that I can go, but that's not really what your heart was. You told me no, and therefore I don't want to go. Can you relate to that one? See, it could be that, where now Balaam has a chance to go like, it's almost maybe it's a last chance to get it right. To sleep on it for a whole night and go, you know what? I do want all the gold and silver in Balak's palace. But I know what God said. He said no. So if he's saying I can go right now, th- this is just a test. Yeah, this, this is a test right here. I mean, when, when I have a father says no, and, he, and then, you know, I start talking about gold and silver of a whole palace, and he's all right, you can go. Like, that's probably not good. That's more like him giving me my free will to do what I choose to do that could be the destruction of my life and my soul. Because God's not going to force me to stay behind. So you can go. So that's a possibility. It was a test that he could say, God's given him, another, God's given him a chance to say, you know what, bad idea. I'm, I'm not going. Or the other possibility is God's like just giving him over. He's crossing that line. Like Pastor Chuck used to talk about, there's a line we, that people cross, they don't come back from. Like Romans 1 talks about, their minds, are, their conscience are seared, their hearts are depraved, and they don't come back from it. That's why it's so scary when you see a pattern or you go into a pattern of hardening your heart, hardening your heart. It's not that you couldn't come back. It's that you don't want to come back and you're given over. So it could be, hey, it's, an, it's, it's a chance for Balaam to say, you know what, I'm with you on this one. I'm in the wrong and I get it. Or it could be the Lord just saying, this is who you are. And you're going to become a negative example in the Bible for all human history, which is really sad which is actually what he became. And on, in the context of temptation, too, it really cranked up, right? Like, they came back with more honorable people, with more money, and promised honor. The devil departs until an opportune time. And he'll throw this at you, and then he'll throw that at you, and then he'll just throw it, the whole thing. Like, look at it with Jesus. Hey, bow down to me. Like, you know, it's like, hey, this, then he just says, look at the kings of the world. Like, what did, what did Satan offer Jesus? The whole world. Enough of this tit-for-tat stuff. I'm just going to give it all to you. He just, you know, it's like a, like a poker game. Just Satan and Jesus, oh, this, and you have to send a man, you turn us to bread. Oh, that's written. Oh, it's so cute, the platitude. Now I'm going to twist scripture out of context. He'll give his angels charge over you. It's like, oh, it's written, you will not test the Lord. It's like, forget all that. Here's all the chips. I'll give you the whole world. See, that's what the, the devil does. You're hungry, twist scripture, and it says, forget all that. Let's go right, let's, let's go right to the core issue. I'll give you everything. You want worship, I'll give you quick and easy worship. The whole world's yours. See, that's what the devil does with us. He cranks it up, and he departs to an opportune time. And he has definitely cranked it up on a lot of people in 2020. And a lot of people found out we aren't who we thought we were. Or maybe we find out we are who we had hoped we would be. Or maybe we find out sometimes we complete the past and sometimes we throw interceptions. It is what it is. But the devil's not going to cease harassing us. He's not going to cease tempting us until we're off this planet. He wants to destroy us, destroy our witness, and destroy all the blessings of God in our life. He wants to take us from being blessed to being cursed. 
And so the temptation ratchets up right here for Balaam because the stakes are higher. More honor, more, more honor, more wealth. Stakes are higher. And the flesh, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, more is more. And we generally want more. And if we can, if we won't capitulate at this end, the devil might get us to capitulate. He'll come to try and get us, not might, he will come to get us to surrender on a higher end with higher stakes. Verse 22. Then, so Balaam went. He rose in the morning. He saddled this talking donkey who had never talked before. And he goes with his people. And he's got that like, that adrenaline going like when you're just going to do something really naughty but you feel like you can do it in verse 22 then God's anger was aroused because he went and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him never good when the angel of the Lord is your adversary and he was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand and the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field so Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back on the road then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyard with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she laid down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused and he struck the donkey with his staff. This makes me think of like when Jesus struck down Paul when he was saw on the road to Damascus. It's hard for you to kick against the goads, isn't it? Like, every step he's taking, he's a religious person, and every step he's going right now with the donkey is in the wrong direction. It's against God's will. And in his mind, it's justified. In his mind, he's deceiving himself. And this is a reminder to us that, you know, when our donkey's not acting like it normally acts, it's probably a, a sign to us. When, when, when things are, are choppy. Now, a lot of times we're like, oh, it's spiritual warfare. And sometimes it is spiritual warfare. In fact, a lot of times, like, there's oppression and attack against going forward in the will of God. But, you know, the difference is when you're going forward in the will of God and it's a spiritual battle and it's a spiritual attack, you still have peace in it. There's still a peace that surpasses understanding. But when you're getting, when your donkey's giving you trouble and everything's out of character and everything's out of whack and it's just not going right and it's choppy and it's contentious and it's not that's when you just gotta say man is this the lord trying to protect us is this the lord trying to stop me like it's already bad enough i didn't accept the no no and his yes but now for more wealth i'm going and he said i could go well he did say i could go right hey guys you're with me right you know it's like the two thieves on the cross or something there's three of them you know you're hey you're you're you know god told me i could go we're like, why is your donkey acting like this? I don't know. Whack, whack. You know, like, but I mean, God told me I could go. He can't be mad at me if he told me I could go. This guy's like, dude, your donkey's being really weird, man. Like, <laughs> we came 150 miles from Baghdad. And your donkey's never acted like this. This is a bad sign. But you know, when you're fighting God, you ignore bad signs. Can I get a witness? Have you ever fought in the Lord where you're getting bad signs and you know it? And it's like, it's a bad sign. And you got to receive those things and just take a step back and just cut your losses. I think we can all, I think we all know people 
we've seen wreck their lives doing something very similar to Balaam in this story. And it breaks our heart to think about it. But tonight we're here because we don't want to be those people. So it's not about someone else doing this that we've seen do this or someone else we think is doing this or someone else that could do this. It's about the person in the mirror thinking that take heed lest we fall. If anyone think they stand, take heed lest they fall. That this could happen to us. This could happen to us. And we do not want this to happen to us. The devil's looking for the price by which we'll bail out on the Lord. That's what he's looking for. And we've made it through this gauntlet of 2020. There might be different gauntlets in 2021. If the donkey's not cooperating, we need to ask ourselves, why is the donkey not cooperating? Why is what I know to be a certain way completely out of character, out of way? What is going on? That's what we should be asking and just turning around and going back to the house where God said, no, no, yes. That's what we should be doing. I'm not sure now what I'm supposed to do. Well, he told you no, no, yes. <laughs> so go back to where he told you no, no, yes. Because that's the beginning. But he's going to keep going forward. Verse 28. Okay, then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, female donkey, she says to Balaam, what have I done to you that you've struck me these three times? And Balaam says to the donkey, because you have abused me, I wish there were a sword in my hand for now I would kill you. So the donkey says to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you've ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever dispossessed to do this to you? And Balaam said, no. And the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I've come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. That's a very key phrase. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would have killed you by now and let her live. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. All right, the talking donkey. As Pastor Chuck would say, quoting him now a third time, if you get Genesis 1-1, you get it all. And God who makes the universe can make donkeys talk. It's like Narnia. I kind of like it. Like Mr. and Mrs. Beaver or something, right? Hazan's coming, right? Like, it's talking donkey. This story is reaffirmed in the New Testament. The talking donkey. So unless we have any uncertainty about a talking donkey, it's a talking donkey. Now you say, okay, so how does a talking, how does a donkey talk? And I, you know, if you're like me, you're like, okay, talking donkey. Hmm, how does a donkey talk? Well, your dog talks to you, doesn't he? He's got all kinds of barks to tell you different things. I got a couple, I've had dogs for, Jennifer and I have dogs forever, and the dogs talk. Our cat talks. Our, talk, our cat talks. Oh, man, if you're a cat person, you know what I'm talking about. That means my bowl of food is only half full, not fully food. Because our cat, Max, demands that his bowl of food is full, always full. He talks to with his claws. 
at 2 a.m. in the morning. If he was left in the house, he hides in the house. He doesn't talk when he's hiding. He hides in closets. He hides in different places. You think, Matt, Max is a pretty cool cat. He's, he's a cool cat. He's like Pete the cat. He's a cool cat. But something happens to this cat where he gets possessed at 2 a.m. It's been this way for 10 years. And no matter what the day was like for you or the cat, at 2 a.m., he's going to come talk to you. He's going to start doing the cat thing on you. And if the door, if the room is closed, he'll leave Jennifer alone, and you're on the couch, he'll come for you, and he'll do this. He's talking. I'm not sure what he's saying yet, like I'm king of the jungle or something. But he's woken me out of many a sleep to not fall back asleep. So you kind of, there you go, Max, into the garage you go. So I'm talking to Max. My guinea pigs talk. They got that. That means they're not happy. I read it online. Like, what in the world are you talking about here, Billy? They, if you know, if, I've had guinea pigs for three generations now. I don't know why. It just ended up that way. And they do this unhappy teeth chatter thing. They're not happy. When they hop, they're happy. They, they all, when they hear me cutting carrots in the morning, you know, more, more, more. I want cucumber. I want celery, right? They're, they're talking. Billy, when I cut his hair recently, he was talking. He is, so I was looking for the good hair scissors. You know, I'm like, I'm going to, he's the long hair proving guinea pig. I'm going to cut, you know, I need, you know, it's, oh, it's messy. You just, your hair's dragging in your mess, and I got to, you know, I got to deal with this. Couldn't find him, so I go to Walgreens. I buy scissors to cut my guinea pig's hair. Seven bucks. Just add it up to the list of things that rodents cost you. So I'm like, and Jennifer's like, it's a good thing you got your own scissors to cut that guinea pig's hair because you're not going to cut that guinea pig's hair ever with our scissors. You know, they're hidden. So good for Jennifer. She knows that only a dumb husband like me, husband, find scissors, cut guinea pig hair. But, but Billy has this really loud... It's a ripping, ripping rip. Like, if he was trying to catch away with a pipeline, we'd all pull back. I mean, he just means business. When, when Billy lets it rip, he lets it rip. The other guys don't use the same tone. He's having a tantrum. He's not happy. Billy's saying, I'm not happy about you cutting the hair, my hair. It looks terrible. There's no rhyme or reason to it. Animals talk. Now, I say that kind of facetiously, but also truthfully. Now, we know that certain animals are, are extremely smart. Now, obviously, none have the cognitive capacity to worship God because they're not made in his image. They're not made to do that. So let's come back to this donkey. If you ever owned a horse, your horse communicates. The Sweetens have horses out there in Murrieta. Animals communicate, especially animals that have loyalty, like horses or donkeys or whatever. <laughs> Balaam's donkey like that. Have I ever done this to you? I, it's, and I would say, is the Lord talking through the donkey? Like, is that? No, it says the donkey is talking. And we're told in the New Testament, God used the donkey to rebuke its owner. That'd be like me cutting Billy's hair. And he's like, stop it, you're in sin. You know, like, he's like, what? What can he be talking to me? Like, that's what it'd be like. But in this case, he's so over the top, Balaam, that he gets engaged in this conversation with the donkey. Like, he's just like, 
oh, are we doing this? Are we doing this right now? You and me talking donkey? Like, yeah, they, they did it. And the donkey was, the talking animals had more sense than a, a great prophet, which is a sobering thought when you come back to a serious focus on this. The angel of the Lord must be Jesus here, uh, a Christophany, Theophany, the appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, because the angel of the Lord, which is, it is a title for Jesus, we know that, but sometimes it could be an angel or the angel, we're not always sure, but in this case, it says, your way is perverse before me. Now, an angel doesn't say that. That's not really what an angel would say, that your way is perverse before me. But when it's the angel of the Lord and he says, your way is perverse before me, man. So God told him, no, no, yes. And he said, all right, you can go. It goes, and then the Lord himself is standing in the way saying. But look at Balaam. I guess we can all relate to this because we just... We should be able to relate to this because if we can't, we're overestimating how righteous we are in our own eyes. Because it says, if it displeases you, I will turn back. If it displeases you, if it displeases you, you're on your face saying you're a sinner before the angel of the Lord and your donkey just beat you up in a verbal conversation. If it displeases you. But you see, when, we're, when people are so determined to go a certain way, that's what happens. If it displeases you. Oh, man, may we get from here to eternity and not be in a position like this where we would say, well, if it displeases you, when it's so obvious that God said, no, no, yes. Of course it displeases the Lord. Of course it displeases the Lord. Finally, we wrap it up. Verse 35. Then the angel Lord said to Balaam, so here's another then. Then the angel Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the prince of Balak. Now, at this point, most commentators think that Balaam's given over, that he's crossed the line he's never coming back from. Maybe yes, maybe no. The Lord says, yeah, just go, just speak what I tell you to speak. It's just, it's so unnecessary. Verse 36, now, when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab, which is on the border of the Arnon, the boundary of the territory. Then Balak said to Balaam, did I earnestly, did I not earnestly send to you calling for you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? And Balaam said to Balak, look, I've come to you. Now I have any power at all, excuse me. And Balaam said to Balak, look, I have come to you. Now, have I any power at all to say anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. So Balaam went with Balak and they came to Kirath Huzoth. Then Balak offered oxen and sheep and he sent some to Balaam and the princes were with him so it was the next day that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal that from there he might observe the extent of the people so he went from a private place where the Lord spoke to him no no yes he has traveled by his talking donkey been confronted by the angel of the Lord he hooks up with this guy Balak and they're 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 both poisoned to each other it's a it's a collaboration that will destroy them both and the last thing we read here in chapter 20 chapter 22 verse 41 is that they're at the high places of Baal that's where you end up when you don't listen to a talking donkey when you're determined to do your own thing and said the Lord it's a detail you almost miss here but they're where they would a sacrifice of Baal the false god Baal so he ends up at a place where Balaam worships Baal and he's supposed to curse the people 
that's where we leave off tonight. Now, we'll come back to this story next week, and we'll get the, the because the narrative all kind of, this is like part one, and then the other chapters are part two, so this is a good place to stop. But I don't know, WG, it's a, it's a tough one. But God's no is no, and his yes is yes. And he's not yes and no. So we do well to always heed his no and to seek to be under the blessings of his yes. And if by chance you don't get that and your guinea pig or your donkey or cat's talking to you other than I'm the king at 2 a.m., listen closely and don't ask the Lord if you should be going forward or not. Go back to where you heard him clearly saying no, no, yes. Amen?